Hey guys, I'm Chastity, and you're listening to the Ancient Conspiracies Podcast, where we connect the origins of some of the most popular conspiracy theories to biblical history. Well, this week we're going to pick up where we left off prior to the series on the fall feasts. And where we left off was with Enoch. Now, if you haven't heard the first two podcasts on the book of Enoch, I encourage you to go back and listen to this introduction material so that there's a smooth transition into today's discussion. But just to recap, Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam and the great-grandfather of Noah. And the book that he's believed to have written, the book of Enoch, which was found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, expounds on the story in Genesis 6 where the sons of God mate with the daughters of earth and create giants. And this story is not only found in the Bible, but it's the foundation of Greek mythology, Sumerian mythology, Roman mythology, etc., the idea of the gods mating with the women of earth and creating demigods. In Genesis, they're called the heroes of old, men of renown. Now, these Nephilim, or the fallen angels, promoted themselves as the gods and creators in the pre-flood world. And they taught mankind drug usage, how to conjure spirits, the perversion of the stars, astrology. And they taught mankind the art of war and actually used man to fight in their battles against each other. And according to the book of Enoch, this corruption of not only the literal DNA of humans, but also the corrupt knowledge that they taught mankind is the real reason for the flood of Noah. And this brings us to our topic today. If God attempted to wipe this corruption from the face of the earth, then how was this knowledge brought back after the flood? I mean, looking at history, every ancient culture was considered polytheistic. We see this in Sumeria, Greece, Egypt. There was only one group of people throughout all of history who were monotheistic, the Israelites. And if this is the group that survived the flood, how then did polytheism get resurrected and spread? Well, let me tell you the secular theory that's currently being promoted. I mentioned the television show Ancient Aliens in my most recent Headlines podcast. And if you've ever seen Ancient Aliens, they promote the concept that sky gods came to Earth, created mankind, and then they taught every continent the same information. And this is the reason currently being circulated for why there are pyramids on every continent and ancient structures are all aligned to the same star systems that aliens came and bounced from continent to continent, telling the same information. Now, you can't deny the similarities of the pyramids found on every continent, from the Aztecs to Asia to Egypt. Not only do the pyramids look crazy similar, but their depictions of their gods sometimes are holding the same devices. They share the same window structures and the same altar placements. It is like they were given the same set of blueprints. But the Bible offers a much more plausible explanation. After the flood, there were only eight survivors, and from the eight of them, the world begins to repopulate. Now, we're told in Scripture that Noah's son Ham had a son named Cush, and Cush had a son named Nimrod. Nimrod was the first king to rule after the flood. And Nimrod is believed to have introduced the corrupt pre-flood knowledge. He forms a religion opposite of God by resurrecting the knowledge of the fallen angels and promoting them as the gods once again. Now in Genesis 9, we're told the story of Noah's son Ham. After the flood, Noah, being a gardener, plants a vineyard, and then he becomes drunk. Ham stumbles upon his naked father and calls for his brothers to see. 
Shem and Japheth cover their father and refused to look at his nakedness. And when Noah awoke, he cursed the line of Ham. And from the line of Ham comes Nimrod through Ham's son Cush. And also from the line of Ham comes the Canaanites through Ham's son Canaan. Now the Canaanites intermingled with the giants all throughout the Old Testament. And many of the names of the tribes of the giants appear in Canaanite genealogy. And we're told in the book of Enoch that the giants were the descendants of the fallen angels. So it's not a stretch that this fallen angel knowledge was passed down through the line of Ham after the flood and Nimrod learned it. Now, the book of Jasher may also offer some insight into the story of Ham. Even though the book of Jasher is not included in the canon of Scripture, similar to the book of Enoch, it is referenced in Scripture in the books of Joshua, Samuel, and Kings. And in the book of Jasher, chapter 7, we're reminded of the garments of clothing given to Adam and Eve by God. If you remember, after they sinned and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realized they were naked. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we're told that God himself made garments for them of animal skin to clothe them. So in Jasher, we're told that when Adam died, he gave these garments to Enoch. And before Enoch was raptured by God, remember he didn't die, he left the garments to his son Methuselah. And Methuselah gave them to his grandson Noah, who preserved them aboard the ark. Now, the book of Jasher states that when they left out of the ark, Ham stole the garments from Noah and hid them even from his brothers. And it's speculated that maybe this passage in Genesis was the very moment that Ham stole the garments while Noah was drunk and then called his brothers in to see his nakedness. With so few people on earth, you'd have to do something really treacherous to get cursed by your own father and exiled from your family. Now again, the book of Jasher is not included in the canon of scripture, so it does not hold the same weight as scriptures in the Bible. But I'm sharing it because it's an interesting connection which may offer some insight into Ham mocking his naked father, this being the reason that he is cursed. Because that seems a little bit extreme, like we didn't quite get all of the information from the story. The book of Jasher goes on to say that Ham passed these garments on to his son Cush in secret. And then Cush later gifted them to Nimrod in secret. Now, Nimrod was his youngest and most favorite son, Spoiled Rotten. He was had in Cush's old age. And in Jasher chapter 7, verse 30, we're told that when Nimrod was 20 years old, he put on the garments. And when he put the garments on, he became strong. And this is verified in Genesis. We're told that Nimrod became a mighty warrior and also a mighty hunter. And it's believed that his skills as a hunter helped hone his skills in battle. And this was the basis for his kingship. In Jasher, he claimed that these garments gave him strength, which ensured victory over his enemies. And he was able to claim kingship to rule over the whole earth because of these victories. And for this reason, Nimrod is also commonly referred to as the first Antichrist. We're told that the Antichrist, too, will come to power claiming kingship through his lineage to David. He will also disregard the God of his fathers and promote a false unity of religion and then later claim that he himself is God. 
Now, the word Nimrod is similar to the Hebrew word for rebellion. And traditionally, Nimrod was considered a dictator and tyrant. In fact, the nations founded by Nimrod, including Nineveh, Assyria, and Babel, all go on to become some of Israel's chief enemies. Now, as I've mentioned before, Nimrod was the king over all the earth, which in those days was mostly concentrated in Babylon. The Babylonians were the people who came down from the mountain, the descendants of Noah, before they were dispersed. And therefore, Nimrod has the ability to influence the entire world. We're told in Genesis that Nimrod attempts to build a tower with the intention of reaching the heavens. And Genesis chapter 11 tells us that had they succeeded in building this tower, nothing would have been impossible for them, which is why God confuses their languages. And from here, the people are dispersed, obviously congregating with others from a similar tongue. And for this reason, throughout history, Nimrod goes by different names based on the different languages that go on to be the different civilizations after they dispersed. Nimrod is the Hebrew translation of his name. In Sumerian text, he was Enmerkar. In Egypt, he was Osiris. In Norse mythology, he was Odin. And if you weren't familiar, Odin is who Santa Claus is based on. And we'll cover that in a couple of months. Now, we know that these are the same people because of the descriptions of each culture's pantheon. For example, in Sumerian stories, Enmerkar was the third king of Uruk, who builds a ziggurat, a rectangular stepped pyramid-looking tower, as a gateway to the gods in the hopes of reaching the heavens. Now, it was known in the Akkadian Empire, the first empire of Mesopotamia, as Babel. Bab, meaning gateway, and El, E-L, meaning God. And according to Sumerian mythology, the people were of one language at the time. And not only does Enmerkar build this ziggurat, but he builds a temple at the base of it to the equivalent of the fallen angels. And then the god Enki comes down, confuses the language, and disperses the people. Exactly as we're told in Genesis. And similar versions of the story, along with other stories like the Flood, are found in almost every civilization on Earth. Same key players, just different names. Now, Nimrod's wife was called Ashtoreth, and in one of my recent Headlines podcasts, I briefly touched on Ashtoreth. She was known as the Enchantress Goddess, and in ancient Babylonia, she was known as Semiramis or Ishtar, where we get our English translation, Easter. In Greece, she was known as Aphrodite, and in Rome, she was known as Venus. In Egypt, she was Isis. And in Phoenician mythology, Ashtoreth was the wife of Baal, the one and only. And that name is well enough known to give you an idea of who Nimrod became. Together, they have a son, Tammuz. And he was known in Greece as Adonis, which is a play off of the Hebrew word Adonai, one of the names of Almighty God. The Greeks spoke of a cult of Adonis in the 6th century BC, in the same period that Ezekiel, chapter 8, verse 4, notes his existence in Jerusalem under the Babylonian name of Tammuz. In Egypt, he was Horus, and in Norse mythology, he was Thor. In Rome, he was Apollo, and if you remember, Apollo is the spirit that will one day possess the Antichrist. The son of perdition mentioned in the Bible translates into Greek as Apollo. 
And it's interesting that Nimrod was considered the first Antichrist, and his son's name is literally listed in Revelations as being the spirit who will possess the Antichrist of the end days. Now, if you remember from one of my earlier podcasts, the Sumerian texts claim that in the city of Uruk was a temple to the Queen of Heaven, Ashtoreth, Nimrod's wife. And she claimed to have given the gift of writing to the people of that city. And interestingly, archaeology verifies this by tracing writing back to the city of Uruk. Now, according to archaeology, Sumerian is the oldest written language, and the Mesopotamians believed that the purpose of writing was to transcribe the laws of the gods. So not only did Nimrod revive this religion of the fallen angels and attempt to usurp God by reaching the heaven itself, he then promotes himself as God and was able, possibly through his wife, to transcribe the writing of this false religion. And this is how every continent came to have the same knowledge. From this one location on earth, the people were given the knowledge and then they were dispersed. And to verify this, according to archaeology, the oldest pantheon on record is from Sumer, the kingdom where Nimrod ruled. And all pantheons in existence depend heavily on this pantheon of Mesopotamia. In fact, most of them are identical. They just adopted different names, exactly like I said before. And the Sumerian king list is perhaps the most ancient government document in existence. It outlines the rule of kings on earth both before and after the flood. And it states that kingship descended from heaven to earth both before and after the flood. And if the Sumerians promoted a pantheon religion, then we can safely assume that the kingship they're referring to is the fallen angel religion, not the kingship of Almighty God. And Genesis actually verifies this. When we're told that the fallen angels mate with the women and create giants, Genesis 6-4 says, There were giants on the earth in those days, and also after that. So exactly like the Sumerian kings list, these fallen angels redescended after the flood. Maybe conjured by Nimrod somehow. I don't know. And this religion reincarnated by Nimrod ripples all the way into our modern day. Did you know that all occult and paganism can trace its roots back to Babel? Most secret societies accredit all of their knowledge and enlightenment to the fallen angels. The Rosicrucians and the ancient Masons believed that the first humans were taught seven basic liberal arts, what they call the seven sacred sciences. However, it was only after the quote-unquote gods injected the illicit knowledge from heaven that most civilizations were set on a fast track to knowledge, technology, and development. They were taught astronomy, how to build megalithic structures, agriculture, writing, and more. The Gnostics actually list Nimrod as the first Mason of the post-flood world, and they take Masonry back to Enoch's knowledge of heaven and the Nephilim. So in case you didn't know, not only does the book of Enoch record the story of the fallen angels and the occult knowledge that they promoted on earth, but Enoch also describes being given a tour of heaven in his book. And it's really fascinating. He describes things that modern science has only recently discovered or proven to be true. Knowledge that was preserved aboard the ark. And this is the knowledge of heaven that's referred to by the Gnostics. Now, according to the Gnostics, the Greek god Hermes, who may actually be connected to Cush, Noah's grandson from Ham, 
finds the knowledge that Enoch stored and takes it to Nimrod within a hundred years after the flood. And this is the origin of the religion promoted by Nimrod, which will one day birth the beast empires that the Whore of Babylon rides in the book of Revelation. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, all of the key players who absorbed their pantheons from the kingdom of Nimrod. And scholars even believe that the concept of the tree of life in Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, also traces its origins back to Assyria, the kingdom of Nimrod. And part of the sacred knowledge passed down by the fallen angels included assigning values and specific numbers to their deities, where we get modern day numerology. So as you can see, whatever happened when Nimrod obtained power, he totally shuns the gods of his fathers. He reincarnates the worship of the pantheon of the fallen angels from pre-flood history, and he is even so bold as to attempt accessing the heavenly realm through his tower, which many people believe to be a portal of some sort. Coincidentally, CERN in Switzerland, who built the Atom Smasher technology, has for years been attempting to find what they call the God Particle, the invisible glue that holds the universe together. They too are trying to reach into heaven, the spiritual realm, and are often associated with being the modern-day Tower of Babel. As I've said in previous podcasts, there is no new thing under the sun, and the history of old will repeat in the prophecies told of our future. And it's believed that the spirit who possessed Nimrod will one day be resurrected and inhabit the Antichrist to come. And this is where we're going to end today. I'm sure you probably have smoke coming out of your ears because of the depth of this information. In next week's podcast, we're going to continue tracing this occult knowledge promoted from the time of Nimrod. And we'll even dive into the bloodlines of the Nephilim through their descendants, the giants. I'll share some archaeological evidence for these giants who were clearly present even after the flood. And we're going to work our way through modern day with the founding of America, where the gods of the ancient Roman Empire will one day be resurrected and bring forth the Antichrist. So strap yourselves in. It's going to be a wild ride. As always, if you've enjoyed today's content, please hit the subscribe button, rate today's episode, and share this podcast with a friend. We'll see you next week.